Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Yeah! Out of here. Welcome to the big leagues. Deep to center field. Happy College Baseball opening day and welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I am the co-founder of JustBaseball.com as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about some of the dark horses for Rookie of the Year in both leagues because, of course, we're hearing a lot about Julio Rodriguez. We're hearing a lot about Bobby Witt Jr., even O'Neill Cruz, but there are a lot of rookies who could make an impact and who could really be in the consideration for Rookie of the Year, whether you want to use this information for your dynasty leagues to place a futures bet once you finally can as that continues to be legalized or deregulated everywhere, or invest in baseball cards, which I'll have a segment at the end of this episode on talking about some of the cards that I am investing in because I think they could have a shot at cracking the Rookie of the Year consideration. I mean, it's of course going to be led by guys like Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Witt, even the Spencer Torkelsons of the world, Adley Rutschman, they're all probably going to have pretty short odds and you're probably not listening to this podcast to get information on those guys as much for me to tell you, hey, Adley Rutschman could win Rookie of the Year. Of course he could. Of course he could, especially because of what he can do defensively behind the dish. I think all those guys are going to make an impact at the big league level. Uh, you see the Riley Greens of the world. I think they're going to come up or he's going to come up a little bit later. Torkelson could be up pretty early or right from the get go. Same with Bobby Witt and same with Julio Rodriguez. If not a few weeks into the season is what we'll see all of those guys uh, when we'll see those guys come up. I think where it's really interesting and when there's a lot where there's a lot to be discussed is some of the other rookies who can make an impact. If you look at rookie of the year finishing year by year, there's always players that either win it that were not the high-end prospects that everybody was expecting, or they're in the final consideration that were not just those big names. It happens all the time, and you just you don't know who's going to translate right away. It's not always about just the long-term upside, right? When I say who I think is going to potentially be a rookie of the year favorite or make a big league impact next year, it's not necessarily saying that I think somebody's going to have a better 10-year stretch than them, right? Like If I'm going to give out a little spoiler alert, two of the guys I really like are Jeremy Pena and Bryson Stott. I don't think either of those guys are going to have a better career than Bobby Wood Jr., but would I be shocked if Bryson Stott came out in 2022 starting at shortstop for the Phillies and maybe hit a little bit better out of the gate and maybe even puts up better numbers by the end of the season? 
I would be surprised. I wouldn't be absolutely shocked because I do think that there could be some growing pains with Bobby Witt Jr. He has an aggressive approach. There is a little bit of swing and miss. Uh, he is a little bit more of that type of hitter that you can game plan for a bit at now at this point in his career. I think he's going to work it out, but there could be some of those early Jared Kelnick type preliminary growing pains. And just like everybody was expecting Jared Kelnick to just roll out and hit when he got the initial call up, it just didn't happen. There's some players with a profile that translates more smoothly to the big leagues, but maybe their upside isn't quite there. John India is a perfect example. He is a great, great player. Does he have the upside of some of the other rookies last year? Probably not, but he has great bat-to-ball skills. He walks a ton, and he was in a good lineup that allowed him to set the table and see a lot of pitches to hit as a guy that was leading off for them, and it worked out, and he ends up winning Rookie of the Year. So there's a lot of unique situational spots, and I think Bryson Stott is exactly that guy next year. I think he can be that dude for the Phillies. The Phillies desperately need a shortstop. Didi Gregorius is not the guy. The rest of that team is really good. I mean, especially offensively. The Phillies underachieved last year. They were still in it down the stretch of the wild card because of an MVP season from Bryce Harper. I think they could have cracked the wild card if they didn't lose Reese Hoskins, if they didn't lose a few of their guys at the end there. Rio Muto was not playing great. Uh, It was not a fantastic year from Aaron Nola, who I think is going to bounce back uh, next year. Had a lot of bad luck. This is a really good team led by... Wheeler, Nola, Suarez was emergent, and then they have a ridiculously loaded lineup with the MVP, with Reese Hoskins, with I think they're going to go make another move. They could go get a shortstop, and that would adjust things here, and that's why I have two shortstops for you that I think could make a big league impact next year, because both teams that I'm going to mention here could end up going to get a Trevor Story. If I don't, if they don't get Story, I don't think that they would really block either of these guys. The other would be the Astros and Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena is someone I've been talking about a bit. I am a huge, huge fan of Jeremy Pena, and I'm expecting him to potentially get an aggressive nod from the Astros and start at shortstop. I wouldn't be shocked. This is an Astros team as well that is super competitive, really good. You're not going to be able to replace Carlos Correa. Even if you go get Trevor Story, you're not replacing Carlos Correa. You could want to go get the veteran. I could understand that perspective, but Jeremy Pena has put on a ridiculous amount of muscle since he has been drafted over the last year especially, has continued to get more physical. He's a plus defender. I just tweeted out a clip of his defense out there. It is so, so crazy how easy he makes some of these plays look. He is so poised, has great instincts. And the fact that the power's breaking through now and we're seeing the offense start to profile, he's a good runner too, he'll steal some bases. He's he's an all-around player that was showing much more field to hit than I think people had initially expected and much more ability to impact the baseball than I think people had initially expected. If it weren't for an injury at the end of last year, I think a lot more people would be on the Jeremy Pena uh, opening day shortstop wagon. But unfortunately, an injury cut his season short, and he only played 30-something games and hit 10 home runs in that stretch in AAA. So an example of just how that power is starting to shine through, and I'm hearing a lot of the same things from Instructs and from Camp, that Pena has looked spectacular, and I would not be shocked if the Astros roll with him as their guy moving forward. I feel the same way about Bryson Stott. I mean, Bryson Stott, what he did last year over the course of the entire season, he started in high A, a 2019 draft pick. So for Stott, he had a lot of making up to do in terms of time losing that 2020 season. Those 2019 college draft picks was a weird spot for them. And it either resulted in a delayed progression where they had to start the year in high A and they're behind schedule in terms of their timeline or an aggressive 
promotion to start the year in double A and have to make up for lost time. And as a result, you have a J.J. Bleday struggling in double A, for example, and finishing strong at the end of the year. That's a different conversation, but same draft, similar guys. And that's what we saw. Difference for Stott was he started in high A, made it very clear that he did not belong there. He was too good to be there. He was walking 23% of the time. He was hitting 288, 453, 548 in 22 games. So they're like, all right, let's bump him up to double A. He was great in double A too. The guy slashed 301, 368, 460, or 481, excuse me, which is a 130 WRC plus, sprinkled in 10 homers, and they were like, all right, he's ready for triple A at the end of the year. He gives you 10 games in triple A, and it was more of the same, if not better. 303, 439, 394 slash line. Power takes a bit of a dip, but it was only 10 games, small sample size for that, but the sample size in terms of his approach was very clear. He walked a lot, didn't strike out much, and he put the bat on the ball plenty. He's a guy that's going to hit for a high average, he's going to get on base at a good clip, He's an above average runner and he's got sneaky power 16 home runs in the 112 games he played and that's not counting a couple more that he hit in the Arizona Fall League which he did more of the same just absolutely mashed and got him base at a well over 400 clip in the Fall League short porch in right field in Philadelphia I'm expecting Bryson Stott to do a little bit of everything he's going to hit for average I think out of the gate similar to like we saw with Jonathan India I think he's going to get on base a ton like we saw with Jonathan India he could be the guy at the front of this lineup for them because Didi Gregorius just was not able to do a lot of the things. Not only is he limited defensively, where Stott is an above average, or at least at very worst at the big league level, average defender out of the gate, who I think will continue to improve and be above average. He'll be better than Gregorius. He brings a bit more dynamic ability on the base paths. He only stole... 10 bases last season, but I think he could do a little bit more of that. He's got the speed. I think he was just feeling out the jumps, especially as he ascended through the three levels that he played last year. I think that there's definitely some stolen base ability there. And again, I think the power is going to translate in Philadelphia, especially with the big league baseballs. He's shown an ability to hit the ball hard. I've seen him hit 110 mile per hour home runs that carry out of there. And there were some baseballs that he absolutely crushed in the fall league that just looked different. And that was something that stood out to me because if you remember from Wednesday's interview with Joey Weimer, which if you didn't check that out yet, I highly recommend it just because Weimer is so awesome and was able to give so much just unique info. As he was saying about the Arizona fall league, they were using the big league baseballs and the ball would just come off a little bit different. You still got to hit it right, but it will come off a little bit different when you square it up. And we saw Stott launch some balls just that you didn't see him hit that far before. It was more of the 105, 106 mile per hour home runs that get out uh, during the regular season. And in the fall league, we saw him launch a couple 110s that just went way out of there. So we think with Stott, see that play up a little bit more. He's more of a 50 to 55 guy on the power, but makes a lot of contact to tap into it. And I think we will see that jump up a bit with the big league baseballs. He's the type of candidate that will benefit a little bit more than the average hitter because of the frequency of contact that he makes and the solid contact that he makes. Look for Stott to get that call up. He's 24 years old. He's shown that he's ready. He's got enough going for him across the board. And for the Phillies, I mean, they're already pretty tapped out in terms of their assets in the minor leagues. And I don't know how much more money they have to spend given that they have a lot of money already spread out on a lot of guys. I would assume that they'd be happy rolling with Stott as their shortstop moving forward rather than story on a short-term deal or story on a long-term deal 
Why block Stott, who's already 24 years old? Take a look at that guy for potential rookie of the year or pick him up in your dynasty league, whatever it is. That's somebody that you should definitely, or I guess it would be trade for him because he's not going to be a free agent in your dynasty league most likely. But maybe Jeremy Pena is. And I think Pena, maybe not as high of the floor offensively as Stott, but in terms of getting run as the shortstop and the defensive prowess is, is better than Stott and the upside is higher. He has more upside. I would say he has 30 home run upside potentially if he can hit enough. So a higher ceiling than Bryson Stott, lower floor, better defense, but both can make a big league impact next year. And I'm really excited to see them do that because whether it's right out of the gate or a little bit further into the season, I'm expecting to see both with plenty of action next year. Now to the outfield with two guys that I think are really in the same boat in terms of I think we'll get plenty of run, uh, but maybe a little bit different situations between these two outfielders where Alec Thomas of the Arizona Diamondbacks, he's going to be playing for a team, no offense to my D-backs people out there. I don't think anybody is set on the D-backs competing next year. I don't even think the D-backs are set on competing next year, even though they did surprisingly sign Mark Melanson, who they will definitely flip for a nice prospect return at the deadline. But Alec Thomas is going to get a lot of run out there, and that's what he should be getting, right? I mean, I want to see this guy get three, 400 at-bats minimum at the big league level. Why not? You're rebuilding, and Alec Thomas has shown that he is plenty ready. The one thing about Alec Thomas that has always stood out, aside from the fact that there is a lot of movement to his swing and in his pre-swing at the plate, it doesn't matter because he is such a gamer. He is such an instinctual baseball player that is the epitome of the type of dude that's going to translate smoothly or at least more smooth than the average prospect to the big league level. Thomas does it all. He's balanced across the board. It's a plus hit tool. It's above average power. It's plus speed. It's above average defense. He is one of the highest floor prospects you'll find in baseball, and that's why we saw Kylie McDaniel on his top 100 list for ESPN, which is behind a paywall, but if you have ESPN Plus, go check it out. I thought McDaniel did a really good job on that list overall. He had Alec Thomas 16th, if I'm not mistaken, and that's not because Alec Thomas is ever going to win an MVP award. I would probably argue that he won't. He'll make some all-star appearances. I really think he will, Uh, but it's because of how likely he is to be an above average regular. And that's something that's really important in the world of prospects when it's so hard uh, to be able to weigh out how risky some of these guys are and how what the likelihood is that they reach their ceiling. It's always difficult. But I'm very confident in Thomas's ability to do so because even with the movement in his swing, he has shown at every level that he is able to get to where he needs to get before he launches forward or I should say starts his swing. I mean, that's the thing is Thomas is able to time everything up well. He's really good athlete in the box, and you can see that as well. And all of those moves really serve a purpose for him, and he is able to make adjustments within at-bats that is just so impressive. He's just born to play baseball and raised on baseball. His father was a former professional baseball player who has long been the director of conditioning for the Chicago White Sox, and you can just see it with Thomas. He's got the athletic build, he's got everything you need or want in a hitter, and he's just built mentally well in terms of just being that instinctual baseball player. So I'm expecting him to be able to translate really well. You look at the numbers last year between double A and triple A, and he's another player drafted out of high school in 2018. 2019 was his first full season of professional baseball, and he struggled a little bit in high A. So it would have been nice to see him get a little bit more run in 2020, but he comes out in 2021 separating himself because 
I always call 2020 the great separator for a lot of prospects because you don't have the team instructing you to do things or the organization instructing you to do things. You don't have at-bats and games every single day or innings every single day. It's up to you to get the most out of that time off and try to separate yourself and get to where you need to get. I am not going to doubt one bit that Alec Thomas worked as hard or if not harder than everybody else during that layoff also helps when you have your father that is the director of conditioning for a major league organization that can help you at all times and Thomas came out in 2021 looking even more physical and looking even better at the plate he put up just fantastic numbers through 72 games in double a hitting 283 374 507 with 10 homers in those 72 games 11 percent walk rate 20 percent k rate gets the bump up to triple a where he was even better walk rate goes down a little bit strikeout rate jumps marginally but he just hit the ball even harder and hit more home runs and benefited from the change in baseball there 34 games eight home runs he slashed 369 434 658 to 168 WRC+. plus, So he was just dominant between the two levels. I don't think you need to see anything else from the 21-year-old. He'll turn 22 right at the early point start of the season, depending on uh, when that season starts. I think it's going to start sooner than people think uh, without getting too deep into the lockout. I'm starting to sense a little bit more urgency from both sides. We'll see. Everyone has their own thoughts on that. Regardless, Thomas should be ready to go uh, the second that the big league season is ready to go. And another guy that, yeah, he could play center field, no doubt about it. I think he could be an above average defender there. He could definitely be a great defender in the corner, but he's ready to run in center for the D-backs. And what I like about Thomas is his ability to spray the ball all over the field, really wide gaps, big cavernous outfield. There's a reason why David Peralta leads the league and triples every every single year for the D-backs. I think Thomas is going to do a lot of the same, and I think Corbin Carroll is going to do a lot of the same once he gets a chance to crack the big leagues. He's a little bit further behind than Thomas just because of that shoulder injury that cut his season to just six games, but I think Carroll's a guy that could prove himself rather quickly and end up getting the bump up to the big leagues by some point next year. And Thomas, similar to Bryson Stott, the thing I love about those guys is they hit all pitches really well because they have great body control. They stay on their back leg really well. And they hit lefties very well. These are two left-handed hitters who have great splits. Thomas actually has favorable reverse splits against lefties and good numbers against righties. And Stott is just consistent against both. That's always a great sign of one, that there's not really a hole in their swing or with their body control that you can exploit. And two, I mean, you're going to see a lot more lefties at the big league level. That's something that can really limit rookies when they try to make that transition. Both those guys are really good against left on left. Another guy who I think is not as smooth of the path to action at the big league level right now just because there's some guys in the way but I think by the time the season starts we could see the outfield specifically center field open up for this guy it's Josh Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays and Josh Lowe is someone I talked about back on the lockdown MLB prospects days is he made the adjustments with his lower half that I really wanted to see. He was a bit of a drifter, weight shifting forward onto that front foot too quickly, caused the bat to drag, and we saw him hit a lot more balls on the ground, a lot more weaker fly balls, and since adjusting that, since adding some strength to the lower half, since getting into the back hit better, we've seen the home run to fly ball rates jump. We've seen the ground ball rates drop, which is just great news, right? If you're hitting more fly balls and a higher percentage of your fly balls are leaving the yard, that's always going to be good news. He's fast. He's a plus runner, so he can get away with rolling over from time to time, but he's somebody that can do damage, and and he showed that last year at the AAA level. 
Lowe played the entire season in AAA and put up a great, great stat line across the board. And he was great in AA the year before. In 2019 in AA, 11% walk rate, 25% K rate, 252, 341, 442 slash line. That's a 128 WRC+. plus. Gets the bump up to AAA in 2021. And as a 23-year-old, 111 games, walks 13% of the time, which is important. The strikeout rate, you might think 25, 26% is high, but it has remained there for his entire professional career. And I would expect it to remain there at the big league level. That's just something that he has normal at that spot. He walks a ton. He sees a lot of pitches, but he has the bat-to-ball skills to be able to perform and I think keep that strikeout rate in the mid-20s. 291, 381, 535 slash line. 22 jacks last season in AAA. 26 stolen bases. He was 26 for 26 on stolen bases. And this is a guy who's 6'4", 205. It shows you how quick he is. His great footwork. He's agile. I think he can be an, an above-average defender in center field as well. And The Rays know that. He might play corner. He would be a plus defender in the corner. He can play center field, no problem. It depends what the Rays are going to do. I think that low is the future of center field. And I don't think that you have to uh, really twist the arm of the Rays to justify a reason to maybe dump a contract, right? And Kevin Kiermaier is a guy that is expensive for the Rays. He's owed $12 million next year and then has a $13 million club option for 2023. And the funny thing here is that $13 million club option is something that a team that trades for Kiermaier might be interested in picking up. I mean, Kiermaier put up a slightly above average offensive season, if you look at WRC+, and he's one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. Ironically, I see the Phillies as a really good fit for him. I don't think that the Rays would think twice about trading away that $12 million. It's a lot of money when you have a Josh Lowe waiting, just turned 24 years old, got a taste for about two plate appearances last year, but I think he is going to be ready to go next season, and I'm really expecting him to be a dude. I think this is somebody that will get a lot of Rookie of the Year consideration because of what he can do across the board, similar to some of the other guys I've talked about. I'm expecting the bat to translate, though there is a little bit more concern about the swing and miss with Lowe just because of the higher K rates and a bit lower contact rates overall, though, as I said earlier, I'm still expecting him to keep the K rates pretty normalized. It's still something worth talking about. He has palatable splits. They're a little bit more dramatic than some of the other guys, but dramatic's not even the right word because he still puts up a 762 OPS against lefty pitchers last year. Of course, just demolished righties to a ridiculous 1,000 OPS. But if you're demolishing righties to a 1,000 OPS, as long as you're not terrible left on left, you're going to be an extremely productive player. There's a lot of really productive big leaguers that have just 700-plus OPSs uh, against left-on-left. That is fine. You just can't be the Jesse Winkers of the world that are literally uncompetitive or non-competitive against left-on-left. So I'm expecting Lowe to be able to translate. And when you are able to steal the amount of bags that he does, I mean, he has just been so successful in that department and filling up the stat sheet across the board is just a really good way to win rookie of the year, right? If you're hitting home runs, if you're stealing bases and you're doing that for a team in the race, that is going to be really, really darn good. And they might not need that much out of him, right? Like he's somebody that could be hitting in the seven hole and seeing a lot to hit, or they could put him in the leadoff spot. I could see them doing anything. I'm expecting Wander Franco to probably be somewhere towards the top of the lineup, but they could put him anywhere between one and three, too. They have a bunch of athletic, good hitters with sneaky pop. 
I would say it's less sneaky for Lowe. He's got legit, legit pop. And what I love about Lowe is he uses the whole field power-wise. I believe he actually had more opposite field home runs than he did to his pull side because a lot of pitchers were trying to go away, away, away. And he hits everything well. He hits velo quite well. He hits breaking balls exceptionally well. He hits changeups exceptionally well. There's not really a, a way to beat Lowe. Uh, there's not really a, a direct scouting report other than just try to sometimes buzz it by him on the elevated heater, but that's everybody, and he's able to catch up to Velo. I mean, 997 OPS against fastballs, 851 OPS against breaking balls, 987 OPS against changeups, which is the most important thing because a lot of righties are going to give him that steady diet of changeups, but because of his ability to stay back now in that lower half and his confidence that he can stay back, be laid on it, and still shoot it with authority the other way, that's why Lowe's going to be a dude, and that's why I'm expecting him to have a really good year next year and be able to hit kind of whatever's thrown at him and make that adjustment, though he doesn't have quite as high of the contact rates as some of the other guys mentioned. The walk rates make me confident, and the quality of contact, speed, and everything kind of combined together has me very feeling very good about Josh Lowe as we look into next year. On the pitching side, one guy from each league. I'll start with the American League this time around because it's a former Ray and somebody that is going to get an outrageous amount of action next year. I have no questions at all that this guy will be in the opening day rotation. And I actually think Joe Ryan will arguably be the best pitcher for the Twins next year. Part of that is because the Twins rotation is absurdly weak. I I don't know how they're going to make it happen. I think they might go get another guy or two to try to bolster it. Regardless, Joe Ryan is not only going to be one of the better arms in their rotation, he's going to get a lot of action, even if he isn't doing as well as I think he can. But Ryan is someone that I put at number five in that twin system when we wrote it up a few weeks ago, maybe two months ago. Uh, All the time really bores together right now in this offseason, this lockout. But that would really only put him behind Simeon Woods Richardson and Jordan Balazovich in terms of prospect rankings in that system. And honestly, since we've wrote that up, the more research I do on Joe Ryan, the more I watch from last season, the more I am really convinced that he could be a legit dude and may even be a bit worthy of being higher on that top prospect list because Ryan's stuff, when you look at it in terms of just what it looks like, uh, maybe on the track man data, you see a fastball that's in the 91 to 93 range and you see some good secondary pitches and you're thinking, okay, yeah, that's, that's a solid back end of the rotation type of dude. But the fastball in that 91 to 93 range was extremely effective in AAA and extremely effective at the big league level as well. And the reason why is, one, he commands it exceptionally well, and two, he hides the ball really well from a low release point and it has a ton of riding action, which is, you know, when you're not throwing 98 miles an hour. It's important to have that, right? You have to have the deception and the pitch profile to make it work. We're seeing guys like Nestor Cortez, who we just had on the Just Baseball show not too long ago, and even Ranger Suarez, as I mentioned earlier, from the Phillies, lefties there that are making 90 miles per hour work based on deceptiveness and uh, the life on it and the spin rates and the lack of vertical drop. Joe Ryan does the same thing. And when you have that fastball baseline, It is a really, really good start for him, and it gives him a great chance to be effective. Combine that with elite command, or at least I would put well above average command for him. He's got a good shot to be a very effective starter next year. It's probably going to be hard for him to put up the kind of numbers that would justify him being rookie of the year, but I think he's going to be somebody that's kind of in that top five range and always floated around in the power rankings or uh, when we look back at it, he's going to be the 
rookie of the year dash five or dash four uh, on baseball reference next to that rookie season. I don't think he exceeded rookie limits last year, only pitching 26 and two thirds innings, but beyond the 91 to 93 mile per hour fastball, which was extremely effective last year and limited opponents to a sub 600 OPS. He also is comfortable with his three secondary pitches. The best one is the slider that I think works off of the fastball and tunnels well with the fastball and he locates it really effectively. He also has a curveball and a changeup that I think both pitches look really good. I would like to see a bit more separation between the fastball and the changeup. Sometimes it's only about six or seven mile per hour difference and there's just not enough of that fooled you. It's pulling the string, right? Like there's not enough of that separation to, to really get that hitter waving at it. But when he does get that, the action is good. He re, he makes it look like the fastball really effectively. And he also mixes in that slow curveball to steal strikes as well. He can give you so many different looks. He has the baseline of the fastball. He's going to get a lot of starts under his belt next year. He's going to be an integral part of the Twins rotation. I'm expecting Joe Ryan to be somebody that's in the conversation. I just don't know if he'll dominate necessarily enough but an extremely high floor and a guy that's going to have success next year. Oh, and for those who may have forgotten, I I realize I forgot to mention it, he was traded over from the Rays in that Nelson Cruz deal. So it was definitely a piece that I'm sure the Rays were not really excited to part with, but it was a 40-man roster spot they could open up. They didn't want to give up one of their Taj Bradley types, uh, younger guys in the organization. But Joe Ryan, 25 years old, polished, throws a lot of strikes, good feel for all his pitches, should be a dude next year. On the other side of things, on the National League side of things, I'm expecting Roanzi Contreras to be a freaking dude next year. Contreras of the Pittsburgh Pirates came over in the Jameson Tyone trade from the Yankees. Yankees, what were you doing trading Roanzi Contreras? I'm all for trading prospects when you're trying to win now. Don't get me wrong. I'm trying to convince Marlins fans of that every day. Uh, that they should be more okay with parting with prospects to make your big league team better. But good on the Pirates to undo a little bit, a little bit. I'm not, I don't even think you can never undo that Chris Archer trade, but good on the Pirates to trade a perceived better big league starter for some, maybe some undervalued prospects because Contreras was just outrageously good this year and his stuff is just insane. He got a quick little cameo at the big league level for three innings last year and looked really good in those three innings. But we also saw him dominate double A. We saw just ridiculous uptick in quality of stuff. I mean, he's got a few different ways he can attack you. He has an upper 90s fastball that'll touch triple digits, 2,500 RPMs. It's just disgustingly electric. Then he has a slider in the upper 80s that is sharp and late with the bite. His curveball might be his best off speed or secondary pitch, which is even more gross. It's harder to throw it for a cold strike because it breaks so freaking much, but it is a fantastic out pitch. And then he has a changeup, which he got more comfortable with as the year went on as well. The slider is more of that earlier in the count breaking ball he likes to mix in. The curveball is the see you later. You're not hitting that thing. And nobody did. He had a 65% K rate on that curveball. Contreras had his season cut a little bit short or at least had a brief period in the middle of the year where he missed some time due to some arm discomfort, but then was able to come back and finish strong and get that little taste of the big leagues, which I love that he was even able to get up there and just get that first 
debut out of the way, uh, but I'm really excited about the fastball and then the mix of secondaries that he has. The curveball is one of my favorites in the minors. The curveball and the slider, two very different pitches too. This slider is just so much more horizontal. Sometimes you see guys with two different curveballs like that that are really sharp and high in RPMs blend together. Not the case here. Curveball much more of a downer, slider much more horizontal, and both really effective opponents had just an OPS of 366 and 321 against both of those pitches. You're just not going to have a comfortable bat against Rowanzi Contreras, and he's still only 22 years old. This guy should be up at the start of the season since we already saw him crack the big league roster, and he's going to be really, really darn good. A quick look over his numbers. He posted a 12.5 per nine K rate and then also only walked two batters per nine. So the command is there as well, continuing to get better at hitting his spots. He is going to be one of the guys that I think really electrifies the what's going on in Pittsburgh here and gets them a little bit more excited about the future. And I think people are really going to be a bit by the Rowanzi Contreras bug and enjoy watching this guy pitch. He is really special. So to wrap up here on this Friday episode, this is something that you can expect as a segment moving forward and that I am really, really excited about. But we have the Collector's Digest segment here powered by eBay, and I'm super excited to work with them. And as you may know, I am a big time card collector. How couldn't I be? on the prospect side, especially with everything that I am doing in terms of the analysis and things like that. And I had so many collectors reaching out to me and saying, are you investing in this guy? And are you investing in that guy? Because I'd always been a vintage collector, to be honest. It was something I always did with my late father. And honestly, I really started getting into the prospect side of things because I'm making all of these arguments and talking about all these guys and making the case for some of these players. And I'm like, ah, why not pick up some of their cards? But I always end up holding all of them, uh, which I love to do anyway. So for me, it's more about just buying and uh, accumulating all of the cards that I want to have that I know I'll be priced out of with a lot of these players once they get to the big league level. So for me, it's more about buying and holding and just enjoying having these guys into my collection. But for those who like to buy and sell, I'll always be kind of telling you what I'm doing doing on my end and some of the cards I am picking up. And out of those guys that I just mentioned today, uh, some of those guys that I think are going to make an impact, there are two cards that stand out above all of the names that I mentioned that I think are the best to pick up right now on eBay. And eBay is definitely the place to go. That's where I go to get all the cards because you can see recent sales. You can see a little bit of everything uh, to kind of get a little bit of a gauge of how that card is priced compared to other cards and also how it has been selling recently and a lot more information in that regard. But the number one guy that I'm picking up right now that I'm trying to get some of the cards of that I know once he gets to the big leagues, I'll never be able to afford the special variations of his card that I would love to have because he's such a fun player to watch is Jeremy Pena. And you can actually get his Bowman Chrome first auto for about $55, bucks. Uh, ungraded or raw, you can get it as a PSA 10 for around 220 bucks. And for me, I mean, that's a no brainer. I'm going to add painting to my collection now because I love collecting shortstops. They're just so fun to watch. They're the captain of the infield. I always enjoy having as many shortstop cards as I can have. And this just seems to be players that I gravitate towards and enjoy watching, especially guys that can do it on all sides of the ball or all different ways. And Pena is going to do that. He's going to be on a team that's competitive that I'm going to be watching a lot of. I try to watch every game and every prospect as much as I can. But to be fair, I'm going to be more excited to watch Jeremy Pena on the Astros than Alec Thomas on the D-backs, even though I love Alec Thomas because the rest of the game is not going to be as enjoyable to watch. So, I mean, Jeremy Pena is someone that's going to be 
presumably playing a big role on a really good team. And that is why I think not only is he a good buy at the cheap price that he's at right now, I think he's somebody that's going to be in the spotlight as he continues to play more. I mean, this is an Astros team that's one of the favorites to return to the World Series with or without Correa. And I think Jeremy Pena could be a big part of that. Whether he's batting in the nine hole or batting in the seven hole in his rookie year, he's going to be making big plays at short. He's going to be impacting the game. He's going to be hitting home runs. I can promise you that he is a physical freak out there. The other card that is inexplicably low priced on eBay right now is Josh Lowe. I mean, I just made my whole case for Josh Lowe and you can go pick up his card for under 50 bucks. Bowman Chrome Auto Raw for about $40. You can get a PSA 10 for $150 to $175. That's some of the most recent sales on eBay. So for my card collectors out there, that's what I'm doing right now. I'll tell you that. I am picking up some Josh Lowe and I am picking up some Jeremy Pena, not only because I like them as prospects, and normally I'm going to be talking about some other prospects that are super, super low level, maybe guys that aren't on the radar as much that I think are good to scoop up. But these are guys that almost have had some prospect fatigue and are being overlooked and I think are going to make a big impact at the big league level. And Lowe is another guy that I'm really expecting to do that for the Tampa Bay Rays. And I think we'll start to see people flocking to those cards when the Rays trade Kevin Kiermeyer, which I think is more of a when than an if. And Lowe is just a super cheap and affordable buy right now. And there are plenty listed on eBay as we speak. And in the offseason is the best time to scoop up cards as well, as the prices always seem to go back up uh, as we get closer to the season. And minor league season's going to happen this year. And I know that we're going to have a big league season at some point. Uh, minor league season will happen on time, which is a good thing. MLBPA doesn't impact that. And it seems like the owners and the players are going to try to meet as frequently as possible moving forward to try to fit the timeline that they need to fit. But those are my two pickups right now. Those are my two cards that I'm really excited to add to my collection that I am trying to scoop up off of eBay right now because of the fact that they are just two prospects I really enjoy watching and I'm really excited about what their future entails. That'll do it for today's Friday episode and, of course, the first edition of the Collector's Digest segment. Let me know if you enjoyed that and if there's anything else you want me to talk about uh, when it comes to the cards and the card market and things like that because we'll be doing a little bit of that Collector Digest segment at the end of every Friday episode. Also, my DMs are always open. Feel free to ask me any prospect questions you may have and anything baseball-related in general. I am always always trying to make myself available and catch up to as many of those DMs as possible. If you could take a moment to leave a rating on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, it would help me immensely to growing this show, and I really appreciate it. Keep an eye out for the Red Sox Top 10 on Monday and also a prospect interview coming up on Wednesday. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Monday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.